But I wanna welcome all of our campuses. I wanna welcome our South Shore joining us right now, our Gulf Coast campus online and here at Little Creek to the third week of our series entitled, This Is Living. Come on, can we just welcome our campuses right now? It's wonderful. We are in a six part series. We're teaching through First John. Now I wanna say this one more time. John, John the Apostle wrote five books in the New Testament. Number one, he wrote the Gospel of John. Again, you know the Gospels up front, a lot of red in it, a lot of words of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John wrote that as an accounting of his walk and his life with Jesus. But he also wrote, towards the end of the New Testament, 1 John, which we're studying, 2 John, and 3 John. Now, we studied last fall for seven weeks the fifth and final book that John wrote in the New Testament. It was called the book of, say it, Revelation, the book of Revelation. So John wrote these five books. We are studying not the gospel of John, but a letter that John wrote. Who did he write it to? He wrote it to seven churches, basically the same churches that he wrote the book of Revelation to in Asia Minor. And he was concerned. There was a lot of young believers, and he was concerned about things that were taking place in the church, and he wanted to be able to shore up the foundations. Week one, we talked out at 1 John chapter 1, what does it mean to live a forgiven life? Last week, and I want to encourage you, if you miss any of the message, you can get all of our stuff online. Of course, you can pick up CDs uh, as well. But we talked about that great exchange. We talked about how to live a clean, righteous life where there's an exchange at the cross. God the Father, watch this, put our sin on Christ, and he put the righteousness of Christ on us. Very powerful, very powerful concept biblically. Today, I want to talk to you out of the latter part of chapter 2. Again, I'm trying to do my best to teach through this book. Uh, we're not going through every verse, but we're hitting most of them. I want to talk to you today about the anointed life. What does John mean when he says that we have an anointing? Before I open the scripture, I want to just make one mention as well. And three weeks away is Easter. Can you believe it? It's happening, man. It's just like it's happening real fast. We're going to have 12 services between this campus our South Shore campus, and our Gulf Coast campus, and we need your help. Last year, uh, we had right a little over 12,000 people that came. This year, we're believing for 15,000 people, and uh, it's going to be an awesome. But here's the coolest thing. 500 people making a decision for, for Christ. Come on, how many of y'all can believe with us for that? Isn't that awesome? But here's the deal. It's going to take you inviting your friends, all right, inviting your neighbors, uh, maybe inviting your enemies. Can I have a big amen right there? Just, just get them in church. I promise you they won't be disappointed, and neither will you. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open back up to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15 to 23. A little bit more than I usually would read, but I want to give you the full context of what John talks about when he says, you and I have an anointing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Here's what John says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now watch, there's three things. Interesting. Three things. For all that is in the world, number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. And number three, the pride of life. That's not of the Father, but it's of the world. That's important. Verse 17. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, 
And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, these false teachers, these Antichrists, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you, this is important, here's the contrast. He says, but you, you have an anointing. You have an anointing. I'm gonna to explain today what does John mean by saying that we have an anointing. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Well, that's heavy. He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Next verse. Whoever denies the Son, this is really important, particularly in our day and age in which we live in this syncretistic culture where everybody, you know, you believe, you know, it's a little bit of Islam, a little bit of Buddhism. Pastor, I mean, come on, after all, aren't we all on the same pilgrimage up the mountain of God? Aren't we maybe just taking a little bit different paths, but, but, but we're all ultimately going to reach God if we're sincere, not according to Scripture, not according to the Bible. Here's what John says. He says, whoever denies the Son, whoever denies, everybody say Jesus. This is in the Scripture. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Right there, it differentiates Christianity from every other world religion. Right there, it puts Christianity in there. See, all world religions are man's attempt to reach God. Biblical Christianity is God's attempt to reach man through sending Christ. It's totally different. It's a different starting point. He says, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Two unique things that I want to highlight here is that John says he's dealing with, again, he even called them little children. He's dealing with a lot of young believers, and they're overly fascinated with what he calls the world, the cosmos, the world system. And he says, there's three unique temptations that are going to come to you, John. Now, watch, come to you guys. Here's what he said. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Can I tell you what's interesting? Those are the exact three temptations that Adam and Eve experience in the garden. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What's interesting is it's also the exact same three temptations that Jesus experienced in the Judean mountains. He experienced the lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread. The lust of the eye. Remember when, remember when the devil took him up? He said, look, all of this, bow down, all of this, lift up your eyes, all of this can be yours. How about another one, the pinnacle of the Temple Mount? I've been right there where the temple comes in. Throw yourself down, the pride of life. You, you, listen, you can be your own. Let, let, me, let me just tell you something. The, let me tell you, how do you know the devil does not have any, any new tricks? I want everybody to know that. Same one, it's the lust of the flesh. Everybody say the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, why was John so concerned about this? He says, to the degree that you and I are susceptible to these temptations is, listen, to the degree that we are susceptible to false teachers. Teachers that had crept into this church, they'd crept in and started suggesting that Jesus is a good man, but he's not the son of God. How many know the enemy recycles that lie? That's a lie in our culture today. Jesus, good man, he's a good guy. 
taught some good principles, helped the poor, but yeah, he's not really the son of God. That was all the way back in Bible times. And John was concerned. He was concerned because there was this over-fascination with the world. There was this over-attraction to the world. And he says, you're becoming susceptible. Matter of fact, two things, two things that really, John, all throughout the New Testament and all through this particular book, two things that keep us from deception. Number one is a love of the truth. Number two, understanding this concept we're going to talk about today. It's God has given us and deposited in us as believers a discernment, listen, a, 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 a supernatural discernment that comes. Well, let me read it. First John chapter 2, verse 20, I'll say it again. John said this. He's saying, regardless of what these false teachers that had crept into the church, regardless of what they're saying, they had all kind of lies. They were saying, he says, I want, to encourage, I want to encourage you. You have an, say it with me, say it, and you have an anointing. And because of this, it's from the Holy One, and you know all things. You don't have to fall lied to the strategies of the enemy. You don't have to believe this because you have an anointing. You don't have to fall to the flesh. You, you don't have to fall to the lies. You don't have to fall to false teachings that suggest that Jesus is just a good man but not the Son of God. You have an anointing. What is the anointing? I want to answer that today. What does John mean when he says that we have an anointing? The anointing is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the manifestation of God's presence, God's power, and His presence. It is the Holy Spirit. But it's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit operative. It's the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself in you and upon you. To be and do what God's called you to do. There's a discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit in our heart. When we have the Holy Spirit and the, the anointing, so the anointing is the Holy Spirit, but it's the Spirit of God manifesting in your life. Amen. It's interesting, John says, listen, you have something very powerful. Now, the Greek word, chrisma, anointing, chrisma, it's where we get the Christ, the, the anointed one. It's where we get the word charisma from, all right? Very similar. Charisma. This is a word anointed, translated in the Greek, right out of John's letter. It means to assign to a specific task with the implication of supernatural blessings and endowments. Have you ever thought about this? You have supernaturally been endowed by God with God's presence and God's power. You, you have been supernaturally endowed by God with God's presence and God's power. John said, let me just tell you something. When you understand the anointing in your life, it's a serious advantage. Not over people, but over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Everybody say, I have an anointing. Come on, say it. You have an anointing from God. I'll never forget when I was in college. I, I went to Tulane University, and I was in school, and I, it was a positive experience for the most part. I was sitting there, uh, and, and I want to go on record as saying none of my professors ever, you know, said they were Christians. Doesn't mean that they weren't. They just weren't verbal about that. And, uh, but there were a couple teachers that I had, a couple men that were verbal that they weren't Christians, and yet they used the Bible all the time. It was interesting, though, the way in which they handled the text and the way in which they handled the Bible. I'll never forget one time I was just sitting there, and of course you're young, you're impressionable, you know, and, and again, People that have gone through academic rigors and training, I mean, they've, they've got a, a place in life, which should be rightly esteemed. At the same time, they're not God. And they're not necessarily, 
speaking for God. Just because, and so this person, they were using the text, but they were actually using it to disprove Christianity. And as a young believer, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute, time out, time out. Whoa, whoa. And in my heart, y'all remember in the 90s when cars used to talk to us? Remember, oil is low, you idiot. Do you remember that? The, 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 the car, it was just like, I remember sitting there one day in my heart, and it was just like, it's just like the siren going off. That is not true. That's not true what he's saying. He's using the Bible, that's not true. See, there's a quickening from the Holy Spirit. Pastor, did you say anything? Say, no, I wanted to pass. Come on, how many know? I, I think there's a right and appropriate way to be able to talk to a professor that doesn't know Christ, but I also know that the Holy Spirit will warn you when something doesn't line up with Scripture. You, you've got, you, listen, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in your heart, and God will quicken your heart. Now, I want to talk to you today about two different aspects of the anointing. Number one, the anointing within you. And number two, the anointing upon you. The Holy Spirit is within you. And the Holy Spirit also wants to come upon you. What is the anointing, Pastor? When John says the anointing, the anointing is the Holy Spirit, but it's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit within you and upon you. Two dynamics here. Number one, the anointing is within the anointing is the Holy Spirit. When you confess Christ as your Savior, when you give your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart. And the anointing, John says, let me read a scripture. Paul says it this way. This is a powerful scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Here's what Paul says. Do you not know that your body, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Well, who's in you? The Holy Spirit's within you. Remember in the Old Testament, you go into the temple and, and God and God's presence is there. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people. New Testament, the Spirit still comes upon you, but the Spirit comes within a believer in Jesus. So your body, your body, my body and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's why we ought to take care of our bodies. Are you with me? The Bible says that your body is a temple whom you have from God and you are not your own. So, let, let me just help everybody. We, we are what's called Trinitarians. We, we are Trinitri. It's the Latin word for three, right? Like a tricycle, three wheels. So we believe in, everybody say one God. Say three persons. Okay, so we believe in one God, not three God. One God, but distinctly expressed in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this for a moment. All right, technically speaking, I'm going to get real technical, all right? Technically speaking, according to the Bible, technically speaking, where is God the Father right now? Technically speaking. The Bible says he inhabits eternity. He's in heaven, all right? Technically speaking, where is God the Son right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. By the way, you can look in the book of Acts. Do you remember when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was being stoned? The first Christian martyr was being stoned? I think I've told you all this before. My mom named me Stephen after the first Christian martyr. And then she told me when I was about 15, when she was mad at me, she gave me my middle name, James, which is after the second Christian martyr. I said, Mom, if you didn't like me, you could have just told me up front. I mean, you could have just been honest. But here, here's the point. Do you remember when Stephen was being stoned by a young man, listen, who was overseeing it, kind of the curator, the, ma the maitre d' over the whole thing, his name was Saul. All right, later it'd be changed to St. Paul, right, Paul? 
all right? The Bible says Jesus was so overwhelmed by how, by how the grace in which Stephen was dying. The Bible says he, it's the only place in the Bible, he says he actually stood up. He stood up. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. So technically speaking, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. So technically speaking, who is convincing you of your need for Christ on the earth? It's the Holy Spirit. Who has given you comfort when you're discouraged? Who's given you peace when there's anxiety all around? Come on, it's God the what? Say God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, when you confess Christ as your Savior, when you confess Christ, listen what happens. The Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart, inhabit your life, and now it's God the Holy Spirit. When he manifests himself, you pray, you ask God for a, God help me, I need direction, and you get clarity. You know what he's doing? It's the anointing manifesting in your life. That's what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit. John says it two times in this one verse, and I'm just teaching verse by verse, two times in this, in this chapter. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. And then he goes on in verse 27. Look what he says. Same concept, but a little more uh, explanation. But the anointing, the chrisma, right here, all right, the enablement, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you have received from him. And that empowerment, Christ, by his spirit, his presence, lives in you. And then he, he, he says a caveat, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Now let me pause here for a moment. i never forget a guy came up to one time with this scripture. He said, Pastor, I need some definition. I need some explanation. This 1 John 2.27 says that I do not need that anyone teaches me. According to this scripture, your job is irrelevant. And I said, well, let's think about that for a moment. Is God saying that there are not teachers in the body of Christ? Now, remember what I've taught you guys, the first principle of biblical interpretation. What is the first principle? You always compare Scripture with what? Scripture. The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. It's not Matthew Henry's commentary or any other commentary. It's you always compare Scripture with Scripture. So, question. It appears here, 1 John 2.27, if you go back here, follow, stick with me. It appears according to this, if you take this out of context, that you could have a lone ranger Christian says, I don't need a pastor, I don't need any teachers, I can just teach myself. According to this, if you just extrapolate it and take this one verse out, then you could build a case around it. The problem is there's other verses that suggest something different. Ephesians chapter 5 it says, when Christ ascended to the Father, he gave gifts to his church, and he gave five, watch this, he says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and what? Say it, teachers. So he gave teachers, he gave teachers to the body of Christ. If you look in the book of Acts, the church at Antioch, they had prophets and teachers that were teaching, right? There's teachers all over the body. So, are we supposed to have teachers or are we not supposed to have teachers? Here's what I believe scripture is teaching. Of course we have teachers. Of course we have pastors and priests and teachers. Of course we do. But listen to me closely. Listen to me closely. When I'm up here teaching and I'm teaching the Bible, I shake hands with people and I walk around the commons area afterwards and somebody will come up. Somebody came up to one and say, Pastor, that was really good today, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go home and check that out. Good. 
Because here's the thing, you should be a noble Berean according to Acts 17. You should check out what any teacher or preacher is teaching you. Are you with me? To see if it lines up with scripture. Here's what I believe John's saying. John's saying, even though you have human instruments teaching you the word, listen, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, that anointing on the inside of you will say yay or nay. Come on, are y'all with me or not? Everybody say, you have an anointing. Come on, say it. You have an anointing. You have an anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. You have an advantage, not over people, but over the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Holy Spirit will talk to you. The Holy Spirit will give you peace when you need peace. The Holy Spirit will comfort you when you need comfort. The Holy Spirit, listen, fills you with joy. It's the Holy Spirit that will speak to you, that will give you a green light, red light, or yellow light. It's that spirit, that inner witness, the manifestation. So the anointing is the Holy Spirit, but it's the Spirit of God manifesting in your life where you can sense God's power. 2005, we went through our region, Hurricane Katrina. And of course, as a church, you know, we experience a lot like everybody else. And, and I got a call about a week after the storm from a great businessman in our church. He had a car dealership and he asked us, he said, Pastor, would you be open? <clears throat> and we dialogued about it, uh, about you can use my car dealership in New Orleans East and uh, set it up. I'm going to be out of commission for a couple months where we're going to assess and damages and whatnot and renovate. And you guys can do a, a recovery site, you know, relief site. Of course, I said, man, absolutely. This is wonderful. And we started the first recovery site in the city of New Orleans. And I mean, we had thousands of people and thousands of things. It was just amazing. We did it for two months over there. Of course, we, we worked on the North Shore as well. But at the end of Thanksgiving, he came to me and said, Pastor, I'm going to need my place back. And it had been two months. And all of September, October, no, actually two and a half months, I'm going I'm to need my place back. And we're going to try to get up for the first year. I said, absolutely, man. This has been a great friendship and partnership. And so we actually had 700 Club come in and we did a big tent. And some of you that were in the church at the time, you may remember we fed 5,000 people in New Orleans. It was an awesome, awesome display of just God's goodness and feeding people. And when that was over, that week, I remember talking to our pastor and said, guys, I just don't feel like we're supposed to go back to St. Tammany and, that's, and it's over. I, I just feel like we're now part of New Orleans. I'm from New Orleans. I feel like we need to be a part of reaching out and have a dynamic reach here. Uh, and so we were driving around. I said, let's just get in a car. Let's drive around and let's see what the Holy Spirit does. And so I'll never forget, we were driving around. We got off the expressway and I saw the Jerusalem temple right there on the corner of the interstate in St. Charles. And I remember when we came down, I saw it. I had done 10 years before that with Promise Keepers. I was part of a meeting with teenagers in that building. And I went, hey, hey, that, I, I remember that building. And, and all of a sudden, I sensed in my heart a quickening of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I sensed God saying to go into this building. I mean, it was so, it was like, boom, I knew it. It was God. How many of you know you can know and you know her? Y'all with me? You can know and you're not. Look, so I walk in, I walk into the building, talking about the anointing within you, all right? God will speak to you. I walk in and I walk in and there was the pastor. He happened to be right in the foyer, right when we walk in. And I talked to him. I said, Pastor, I said, what's going on in his heart? Of course, he was discombobulated and all that happened in his congregation. Half of them were in Houston and Dallas, and he was very discouraged. And I was just trying to encourage him and was trying to do everything we can to just build up his faith. And, and he appreciated it. We prayed with him. And, and when we left, 
we left, when I turned around, I paused and I said, Pastor, if you ever want to sell the building, please let us know because we'd like to buy the building. He goes, okay. He goes, oh, all right, that's sure, you know. I said, just, 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 just let us know. He had my number. Let's just let us know. We walk out, Pastor Randy, Craig, he goes, what was that all about? I said, I don't know. We're going to buy it. You're going to have to figure out how to pay for it. But anyway, so I said, I don't know. I'm just telling you, I felt God told us we're supposed to do that, man. Of course, we have elders and a board and all that. But, and, and the fact is, the fact is, two months later, we got a call from him, and we bought that building 10 years ago. And for 10 years, we've done medical outreach and dental outreach and veterinarian outreach. We are a significant part of serving uh, that whole central city, the whole behind it. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you, uh, Diane Amos, who's been in our church for 10 years, has done, she's a, a powerful woman who's done a great job leading the charge down there. Can we just honor Diane? I don't know where she is at one of our campuses this morning, but Diane, you've done a great job. Hey, I got some good news, though. I got some good news. We have got all, we have got all of our architectural plans done for the building itself. We've got all the video animation. You're going to see, I'm going to show it on a weekend in a couple, in a month or two. You're going to see 1,200-seat auditorium, fully renovated, what it's going to look like. It is, how many of y'all believe it's time not just for us to do medical care and dental and serve the city, but also to have a vibrant, life-giving, transformational church right there, right in the heart? Of, come on, how many of y'all believe that's God? We believe. We believe it's God. And, and I'll say this, and some of you may want to be a part of that financially. We're not doing a capital campaign and signing pledges or anything like that, but you may want to be, as we roll it out, you may want to be a part of giving towards that if God puts that on your heart. But the point is, is that, listen, God, God by his spirit, his anointing, his quickening by his spirit is the thing that set all, set all that up. Okay, so we have an anointing within us, but not only do we have an anointing within us, watch this, the Holy Spirit wants to come upon us. See, in the Old Testament, the spirit of God only came upon people. But in the New Testament, he lives within people that are believers, and he still comes upon people. Well, why did he come upon people in the Old Testament? Well, he came upon people, empowering them, three primary groups of people, prophets, priests, and kings. He did come upon judges and some others, but the primary groups, prophets, priests, and kings, and he came upon them, enabling them to do their job, all right, to function. The enablement of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what that was all about. What's interesting is, I know what some of you guys think, well, Pastor, you know, geez, man, I'm not going to be a priest anytime or a prophet or a king of Israel. I mean, what, what's going to happen? I mean, well, just hang on. I'm going to share you that God's anointing wants to come upon you regardless of what you do. The, the word anoint in the Old Testament, watch this. This is powerful. It means to smear, to rub upon, to consecrate, to pour all over with oil. In the Old Testament, you remember the prophet Samuel? He came down when David and Saul was being Saul and then David being anointed king of Israel. Do you remember, remember what he did? He took a, a, a thing of oil and poured it on his head. Now, the oil was not the anointing, but the oil represented an anointing of the Holy Spirit. See, here's the deal. God gives you his power to accomplish his purpose. God never purposes you to do something without equipping you with the power to accomplish that. And what's so amazing about this whole thing is when you look at it, and I had a guy tell me one time, he said, man, you know, pastor, I mean, I mean, I know as a Christian, the Holy Spirit will speak to you, but he'll not only speak to you, he'll empower you. He, he gives you the power to do what he's called. Jesus himself, Luke chapter four, this, the word anoint is all over the Bible. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has what? Say it, anointed 
me. I know some of you guys say, well, you know, it's, that's Jesus. He's anointed prophets, priests, and kings as well. But not only that, again, immediately when you start talking to this, you think, well, Pastor, you know, I, I'm not part of the clergy. I mean, uh, but time out. Do you know even in the Old Testament, the anointing wasn't just upon the clergy? God's spirit would come upon people. Look at this. I want to encourage you guys. Look at what it says here. It talks about, see, in Exodus 31, see, I have called by name Bazil, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in all manner of workmanship. You're about to see something. Businessmen and women, listen. Teachers, you're about to see something. Moms, dads, single people, regardless of what your profession is to design artistic works. So the Spirit of God, the anointing of God came upon people in the Old Testament to design artistic works, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting of jewels, come on any gemologists or whatever you call it, in setting and carving wood and working in all manner of workmanship. See, here's the point, listen to me closely. God's Spirit, God's anointing wants to come upon you. Whatever God's called you to do, He wants His Spirit to come upon you so that you can do that better. Does that make sense? That's what God's anointing is for. It's to enhance, it's to empower, it's to equip. I'm talking about the anointing upon. So every believer has anointing within, but we also have anointings upon. I've called God's calling to be a pastor, all right? But, he, but he's also anointing me with his power. Remember this, God's anointing is always coupled with his purpose. So he's given me a purpose uh, to pastor people, but he's also given me his power to accomplish that job. You know, some of you guys are real good with your hands and mechanical things. My wife has actually banned me from attempting mechanical things in my house. She goes, you're terrible. You just like make things worse. I'm like, I'm sorry. Remember she told me one day, she was so frustrated with me. She goes, I, about my mechanical deficiencies. She says, Steve, I'll be honest. If you ever lose your voice, we're in trouble. That hurt my feelings. I had to go to a freedom retreat to just get help there. But anyway, so I'm joking. See, the fact is, is the, listen, the anointing, everyone say, I have an anointing. Come on. What is the anointing? It's the manifestation of God's power coming upon you to do whatever God's called you to do, to do it better. Listen to me closely. I want, I'm, 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 this is very important. The anointing of the Holy Spirit and your God-given gifts are not the same thing. Because there are people that don't walk with Jesus that still have God's gifts and talents in their lives. Listen, your gifts point to you. God's anointing upon someone points to God and helps other people. But what God's ultimate design is, is to take his gifts that you submit to him and then his anointing comes upon those God-given gifts and they honor him and they help people. Let me give you an example, singers. We all appreciate good singing. And, you know, sometimes you watch, you know, the voice and different things like that. And you see people with a voice and it's just amazing. I don't even know if that show's on anymore. And I, I was watching it one time and somebody could not sing at all. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, their mom was not honest with them. When they're, I'm just being honest. I was like, geez, Louise. So, no, you're amazing. I'll give you a sticker. That was wrong. That was child abuse. Seriously. <laughs> You've got other gifts. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Draw a painting. But anyway, so this, so, so listen. So when you, I'm talking about, you can hear, some, I'm talking about the anointing coming upon people. 
You can have somebody sing, all right, a beautiful voice. I'm making it up. Celine Dion. So I'm just making this name. So she's, she's obviously got a great voice. So she can sing, and you can sit back and appreciate the beauty of that voice. And that is a, listen, that is a God-given gift. Doesn't mean she hasn't developed it. Doesn't mean that she, but at Psalms 139, when she was in her mother's womb, God put gifts and talents and abilities in her, okay? Regardless of whether or not she serves God, I don't know if she is that. Regardless of whether she's crying out for God's power, empowerment and anointing, I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do. Nice voice. You can have somebody else with a voice much less proficient, but who's been crying out and saturating in God's presence. Are you with me? Who's been fill, filled up with God? Somebody with, who's got God's anointing upon their voice. And when they sing, it sounds like an angel. Watch this. And you don't just appreciate their voice, but their voice actually ministers to your soul. What's the difference? I tell you why. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. It's someone's gift yielded to God's presence, and that doesn't bring glory to them. It brings glory to God, and it helps other people. Does that make sense? I want everybody to say this. Say, I have an anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. The anointing lives within you, and the anointing's upon you. What is God's anointing for? It's God's equipping you. It's God's equipment to get the job done in any area of your life. God's power comes upon you. So what's the key here, Pastor? The, P, the key is, is that we have to live a life not distracted, but a life of intentionality where we're focused on God, where we're staying filled with God, filled with God's presence, filled with God's power. Filled, filled. We, we need to be askers. What do you mean askers? Askers, God, fill me with your presence. David said, that David cried out, Lord, anoint me with fresh oil. So, so I'm not talking about becoming a Christian over and over. You become a Christian once, but you, listen, but you still need fresh infillings of God's power, and you need God's fresh manifestation of his anointing upon your life to do whatever it is, to do whatever it is that God's called you. Remember, God has given you a purpose, but you need God's power to accomplish God's purpose. Immediately, let me answer an objection. Yeah, Pastor, I know a lot of people that don't even know God, and they've helped a lot of people. How much more could they have done for, to help people? Are you with me? The issue is alignment. Is our hearts aligned with God? Are we listening to God? Are we staying close to God? Are we, are we staying filled with the Holy Spirit? Listen, I love Joyce Meyer. Did anybody love Joyce Meyer in the house? I, I just love her. She, she, I, I listen to this, this illustration. You know, she goes, you know, I've got a cupboard. Or she'd say, I've got a cupboard. And I got glad. You know, I love it. I, I can actually impersonate her. And I can impersonate a lot of preachers too. And so she talked about one time she talked about when she goes to get something to drink, she opens a cupboard, all right, and she gets a glass, listen, that's empty and clean to drink water out of. But if she opens a cupboard and the glass is dirty or if it's filled with something else, she uses someone else. She uses another glass. Well, pastor, I wish God would. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all would like to do something great for God with your life? Would you raise your hand? Come on, be honest. Okay, listen, here's my question. Listen to me, listen. Are you empty and clean or are you full of the world? Are you full of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes? See, it's hard for God to use somebody that's filled with themselves, that's filled with the world. They're intoxicated with the world. 
Now, Paul says we can enjoy the things of the world, but we're never to be intoxicated with the world. I'm going to close with this point. Pastor, I want the anointing of God. And I, I sense the presence of the Lord here. And I know you're here. You wouldn't come to church every week unless you were hungry for God. You're wanting to experience something from God. Two things, and we'll close. Number one, how do I have a fresh sense of God's anointing? I want God's, what is the anointing? It's the Holy Spirit manifested. It's the power and presence of God manifesting in your life. So how, how, how do, I've got to live hungry. Would y'all say that with me? Say it, one, two, three. I got to live hungry. I got to live hungry. Look what it says in the gospel. This is so powerful. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Verse 12. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? This is so powerful. Get ready. If you then, being evil, know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the what? Say it, the Holy Spirit to those who what? Say it, those who ask. Ask. Every day we've got to live hungry. God, fill me with your spirit. God, I need more of your presence, less of me, less of my agenda less of my plans and my purposes, but Lord, let your agenda come forward. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So number one, we need to live hungry. Number two, we need to live listening. We need to be listening to the inner working of the Holy Spirit. We need to have ears to hear what God wants to say. God wants to talk to you. God wants to use your life to make a significant difference and an impact in the generation in which he puts you. But it comes to those that are hungry, that are humble, those are hungry. God, fill me. Jesus, use my life. That's where true success comes, where you, feel, where you feel your life is making a significant difference for God, an impact for God. I'm going to ask everybody to stand just for a moment. We're not quite finished. We're going to finish just, just a little bit different than we usually do. Our band's going to come out. But everybody, just look here. i got about five minutes. Please look. Look right here. If, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure about your relationship with God, our altar is going to be open. You can, we've got a whole group up here that love to talk to you about what it means to serve Jesus, to be a Christian. Also, our guest central afterwards. But we're going to do something a little bit different today. Our altar is going to open up for people. And it was powerful last service. We probably for 30 minutes, people stayed and we cried out to God because God, listen, God anoints people that are hungry for Him. God anoints. Can we just close our eyes right now? If you, if you feel comfortable doing this with everybody, if you just feel comfortable putting your hands out, just your palms out like this, just in a receiving position, I, I want to show you what I do every morning. I promise you it's not scary or weird or spooky, but just every morning and I'll... In my prayer time, I'll just, I'll, I'll just put my hands like this and, and I'll, I'll pray a prayer like this. And I want you to pray. Say, Jesus... Fill me with your spirit. See, I'll, I'll say a prayer like that. Jesus, fill me. I'll, I'll say this. Say, Jesus, anoint me with your power. See, what, what, it, what is that? I'm, I'm crying out for God's presence. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that I can't be the dad. I can't be the husband. I can't be the pastor. I can't be the leader in my own strength. See, there's an aversion. When somebody tries to operate in their own strength, God, there's an aversion to God's presence. God shows up big time to those that are dependent upon Him. That say, Jesus, I need your presence. Jesus, I... Yeah, just say, say, Jesus, I need your presence. 
I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down right now all, all across the front. And our team is beginning to sing a song that we sang during our worship time about the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And here's what we're going to do. In just about two minutes, I'm going to officially release people, but as long as you want to come, maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes, people, we had people kneeling down, crying out to the Lord. I'm telling you, listen to me. God answers the prayers of people that cry out to Him. And God shows up big time in the lives of people that are desperate for Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just casual inquiries, but they're hungry for God. Hunger. Jesus, fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Ashley's gonna to begin to lead us right now in song. And just in one moment or so, we're officially, we're officially finishing the service, but Ashley, go ahead and just begin to lead us as we sing. And if you need prayer, or if you just wanna come up front to seek the Lord, our altar's open. We love you. God's presence is here. Come, come, let's seek the Lord together. If you need to go, no problem, we love you. We're just gonna seek the Lord together. Let's cry that out. 